Thanks to everyone for coming out this uh, Sunday afternoon in Spanish work at 5 o'clock. Thanks to those who download these as podcasts from iTunes. Uh, we invite your correspondence, comments, and feedback by email us at utahchristians at gmail.com. We also have a membership class online at our website, utahchristians.org. We'd like to thank those that have become members. Couldn't do what we do without your help and support. Everything is inspired by the teachings of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who is the founder Acharya of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Today we'd like to talk about living a no-excuses life. I heard about this young boy growing up. He was a baseball player, and as a youth he was by far and away the best, most talented player in the whole league. But one day, on the farm, he had an accident with a piece of heavy equipment, and he took off the finger, entire finger, first finger, and half the middle finger of his throwing hand. For a lesser person, that would have been the end of his baseball career. But this young fellow, he had a no-excuses mentality. He was a third baseman, and one day while he was scooping up a ground ball to get the runner out at first, the coach noticed that throwing with three fingers, there was a funny sort of a movement on the ball. And the coach said, why don't you try pitching? Mordecai, three fingers brown, as he came to be known, had a long and illustrious career in the, um, what is it called? I don't even know what it's called. National Baseball League, NBL, I don't even know what people call it, you know. <laughs> he played on two winning World Series teams, and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1949. What many people, for him, thought would be a liability, the loss of one and a half fingers, turned out to be an asset. The spin that he could put on the ball made it very, very difficult for batters to hit. So for any of us, it's always easy if you're looking for them to find excuses why you couldn't do or why you couldn't be your best, most people feel that they have some sort of a handicap, something that's holding them back. Maybe it's a physical challenge, a personality issue, there might be a divorce in their past, a financial problem. But just because you have what you feel is a disadvantage doesn't mean that you should just sit back, settle where you are, have a pity party. God still has something great for you to do. Instead of apologizing and feeling inferior for being different, try seeing yourself as unique. You're not too tall. You're not too short. You're just the right size. You're just the right personality. You have just the right looks. You have just the right talents to be just the right you. When Krishna or God made you, he wasn't having a bad day. He made you the way that you are with a purpose in mind. After finishing you, he stepped back and he said, I like her. I like him. Another masterpiece. According to the Bhagavad Gita, our scripture, every one of us is created fortunate. God is called Satchitananda, full of knowledge and bliss and eternity. His body, his form is made of these three components. And we're made in his image. We're expansions from him. He's like the fire and we're like the sparks from the fire. Not quantitatively equal, but having the same quality as he. So being created full of knowledge, bliss, and eternity, we are, by our very nature, fortunate. We existed before this universe. We will exist after the dissolution of this universe. We are eternally and unalterably, unchangeably fortunate. Um, we're sons and daughters of the Most High Almighty God. We have royal blood. We have His DNA. We have His RNA flowing within our veins. So nothing temporary. No temporary challenge that comes against us is ever going to change the fact that we are fortunate. We're created fortunate from the very, very get-go. 
But there is something that can cause misfortune. Can anyone guess what that is? Fear. Huh? Fear. Fear, of course. And what does fear come from? If we forget the facts that I just ran through, if we forget who we are, if we forget our divine spiritual nature, and failing to concentrate on that, we focus instead on the material covering, the external body, earth, air, fire, water, the changing, flexing material world, which is described as samsara, the endless boast, uh, ocean of birth, death, disease, and old age, then we become eclipsed. We become overshadowed by that which we meditate upon, my matter. So there's, no, there's nothing that can make us unfortunate. We're always, unfort- we're always fortunate. That's our very nature. But if we forget how fortunate we are, then we become plunged into darkness, forgetfulness, and depression. There's a verse, Krishna Boliya se jiva bahia anadir muka ataiva maya tare deha samsara dukkha. Krishna Boliya, as soon as we forget Krishna, as soon as we forget God, the radiant, all powerful, luminous, benevolent Lord from whom we come, as soon as we forget Him, say jiva, because we're small sparks, we're not powerful like Him, we become overcome by His material energy and subject to such miseries as birth, death, disease, and old age. Now the remedy for darkness, for depression, for defeatism, is reviving that original primeval consciousness. And we do that by chanting His holy names. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna is a name for God, it means all attractive. Rama is another name for God, which means the highest pleasure absolute, and Hare is a way of invoking the Lord. And many cultures have different names for God, and any bona fide name of God, which one chants, will have the desired effect of reviving one's original God consciousness. This is not, Prabhupada said, an artificial imposition on the mind. It is not hypnosis. It's not brainwashing. Wait a minute. Let me take that back. If your brain is dirty, it would probably be a good thing to wash it. So, okay, it is brainwashing. We're cleaning our brains from the dust that's created by material affinity. Now, we don't have to be perfect in order for God to use us. All we have to do is take the hand that we're dealt and make the most of it. You can honor Krishna by being the best that you can be right exactly where he's put you. One of the most popular poets of all times is named John Milton. And it's interesting, when I looked up this poet, uh, the website I went to rated each poet by order of popularity, and there are literally 10,000 poets. But Milton was 36. That means of all the poets who ever lived, he was the 36th most popular poet. I guess that means, you know, based on the number of hits or number of people that go to his website. He was blind. And he talks about his blindness. And he talks about a question that sometimes is sort of knocking at the door, begging to be asked. And he talks about how he deals with this question. The question is, doth God exact day labor, light denied? So this is a question that comes bubbling to a servant. He's saying, God, do you, what, what do you expect me to do? I mean, what, we're all called to serve you, and I want to serve you with all of my heart. There's no higher... But, but, but what, we, what am I supposed to do when I can't see? I mean, why, why did you... Why, 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 why? So he, he never really asked the question. But sometimes he finds himself 
on the cusp of asking the question, the why question. You know, why, Lord? But then he says, I, I invoke something, and it's called patience, with a capital P. He says, I fondly ask, but patience to prevent that murmur soon replies, God doth not need either man's work or his gifts who best bear his mild yoke, they serve him best. So what he's saying is God doesn't need our service. We're called to serve him, not because he needs it. He's unlimited, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's complete, he's perfect. He's not augmented by our hallelujahs and hosannas and Hare Krishnas. Neither is he made less or detracted by our failure to do so. But we're called to service for our own benefit so that we can wipe that dust off the mirror of the heart and revive our original nature of eternity, bliss, and knowledge. And it's not the quantity of the service that matters, it's the quality of the service. And so then he goes on to finish the poem. His state is kingly, thousands at his bidding speed and post over land and ocean without rest, but they also serve who only stand and wait. So he's pointing out here that it's not helpful to question God. He's sovereign. He does have a purpose. But because he's unlimited and because his purposes and his ways are mysterious and sometimes far more complicated than we can accommodate, he's not obliged to explain himself to us for each and everything he does. Faith is about trusting even when you don't understand the plan. He's sovereign, he's good. If we shake off the self-pity and the blame and keep pressing forward, nothing will keep us from the amazing future that God has in mind for us. Too many people are waiting for Krishna to make them perfect before they pursue their destinies. Another blind man that we read about in the scripture was Dhritarashtra. He did just the opposite from Milton. He was the eldest son of the king, and in those days the eldest son was automatically elevated, but he'd been born blind. So he never was able to shake off that sense of unfairness, the question of why, why can't I be king, why was I born blind, and so on and so forth. He allowed it to define him, and he couldn't become king. Rather, it was his younger brother, Pandu, who became king, and then Pandu's five sons, the Pandavas, where they were the legitimate heirs to the throne. But because Dhritarashtra could not get over his challenge to God, his why, why does it have to be that way when I want it this way, he couldn't give it up, so he hoped to become king through his son Duryodhana. And Duryodhana had no right to be king. But Dhritarashtra supported him in efforts to kidnap, to exile, and even to murder the Pandavas. And finally, the whole thing resulted in a big world war. There was huge slaughter, uh, uh, terrible devastation, and amongst the dead were Dhritarashtra's 100 sons, headed by Duryodhana. And even then, he was making excuses for his behavior, for his blindness, living in the palace of the victors, the ones that had defeated and conquered and, his, and killed his sons. He was living as a, basically a, a guest in the house of King Yudhishthira and the Pandavas. So Vidura, his brother, his stepbrother, came back. He'd been on pilgrimage during the war. And Vidura came back and he saw the degraded state of his brother. He noted that his brother, although he was very aged now, although he had lost all of his sons, although he had wasted most of his life 
in temporary material concerns, appetites, and ambitions, still Vidura told his brother that you can still salvage something if you take what little bit of life you have left, if you take what shred of dignity you haven't already given away, and leave the palace, leave the comfort of the palace, and go into the forest and chant, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Rama. Sometimes we have to show tough love. So when Vidura came back and he saw his brother Dhritarashtra, he said, you are living like a household dog, taking scraps of food from, from the table from the hand of Bhima, who killed 100 of your sons. He says, you were born blind, now you're aged, you've got phlegm in your throat, you can't speak without a rattle, your aches and pains and all like that. You haven't got much time left. You need to do the right thing before it's too late. And Dhritarashtra was convinced. He said, let me just say goodbye to Yudhisthira and thank him for his hospitality. He said, don't waste another moment. You've wasted 99 one-hundredths of your life. Don't say anything to anybody. This very moment, walk out the door and walk into the forest. And he did that. And he chanted Hare Krishna. And even though he spent a life of misdirection and crime, he still was able to achieve a measure of salvation at the very, very end of his life. Let me share with you another story. David Ring. David Ring was born with cerebral palsy. He could have sat around and had a pity party and said, boo-hoo, poor me, I have this disability, my speech is slow, it's difficult for people to understand me, it takes me four times longer to say something than a normal person. But David... Ring had a no excuses, or has a no excuses mentality. He's an evangelical minister. He travels all over the world, and wherever he speaks, thousands of people come to hear him. He still has cerebral palsy. He still speaks slow. He's still difficult to understand, but thousands and thousands of people come to hear him. And he starts every sermon with the words, My name is David Ring. What's your excuse? So maybe it's time we stop making excuses. Stop thinking of ourselves as handicapped. Stop dwelling on disappointments, unfairness, and hurt that's been inflicted upon us. The worst handicaps are those that we inflict upon ourselves. Tony Melendez had a dream to play guitar, but he was born without arms. So what's God doing here? Why would he plant a dream in this fellow's heart to play guitar and then cause him to be born without arms. Did God get his signals crossed? But Tony Melendez had a no excuses mentality. He said, I don't have arms. I don't have ten fingers, but I do have ten toes. So today, Tony Melendez travels the world and gives guitar concerts playing with his toes. And he plays with his toes better than most people play with their fingers. He has a no excuses mentality. Krishna wasn't having a bad day when he made Tony Melendez. He did have a specific purpose in mind. So according to the law of karma, we've had many past lives, and we may have made some bad choices in past lives which have resulted in our present body, which may have some disabilities as well. But that still doesn't give us a pass to sit around feeling sorry for ourselves and get stuck in a rut and settle where we are. Whatever it may be, the present body is an opportunity to break the cycle. And we don't use properly this rare and valuable human form of life according to the law of reincarnation. If you don't use it, you lose it. 
It may be that we could be more severely limited and restricted in the next life. Failing to use the human form of life for remembering and reviving our God consciousness by the laws of nature, it is possible for the soul to fall back down a few rungs on the evolutionary ladder and next time around have a subhuman life. This is what happened to Chitraketu. In one birth, Chitraketu was a fabulously wealthy king and he was traveling in an aerial airplane in the Himalayas in Mount Kailash. Mount Kailash is a sacred mountain which is the abode of the great Lord Shiva who's sitting right there. As he hovered overhead, he looked down and he saw Lord Shiva sitting and discoursing to many of the greatest saints and sages in the world at that day. Extremely articulate, extremely lofty philosophy. But what Chitraketu noticed was that Shiva's wife, Parvati, was sitting on his lap. Shiva's wife is the most beautiful amongst all the goddesses. Her name is Uma. People pray to her for a good and beautiful wife. She's very, very fair-skinned and comely. So it was a, a, amazing to Chitraketu. If, if us, any of us, even saw Parvati, we would be completely like putty. We would be... Uh, uh, goo goo ga ga. We would we wouldn't be able to get a, a a meaningful word out of our mouths. We'd be so smitten with attraction and with lusty desire. And here was Lord Shiva with Parvati sitting in his lap, not a tremor, not a tremble, not a stutter, not a stammer in his voice, and speaking the most elevated philosophy. And so Chitraketa was amazed that Lord Shiva has the greatest measure of sense control that it's possible to have. And he laughed out of appreciation. Well, fortunately or unfortunately, Parvati didn't take it as a, an appreciative laugh. She thought that he was mocking her husband and she cursed him to take his next birth as a rakshasa, which is a demoniac subhuman species of life. Now it's interesting how Chitraketa reacted. He didn't complain, he didn't make excuses, he didn't try to counteract the curse, which as a devotee could have did. He spoke with great level of transcendental knowledge. Here's his reaction. Since all my happiness and distress are destined by my past activities, I do not plead to be excused from your curse. Although whatever I've done is not wrong, and although it looks as if I've been treated unfairly, I accept the full brunt of your curse as the will of the Lord. He took his birth as a demon. His name was Ritasura. He covered himself with glory and battle after battle after battle after battle. And then his last battle was with Indra. Indra is up here riding on his elephant in this picture. He's the Lord of the heavens. Thunder, showers, and rain. And Indra is a pious, righteous sura. Sura means pious, righteous. Asura, in Sanskrit, when you put an A in front of something, it negates it. So Indra was a Sura, pious and righteous, and Vritasura was an Asura, which means a, de a demon. But in the face of Vritasura, Indra, Vritasura was so powerful, so intimidating, that Indra got scared, and all transcendental knowledge, all composer left him. And even though he had his thunderbolt weapon, which was guaranteed to kill Vritasura, he was too intimidated to throw it. So here's the Sura having been deserted by transcendental knowledge and the Asura, by virtue of his past life, speaking the difference between the soul and the body and giving a pep talk to Indra. Basically saying, I'm ready. I'm ready. The curse is over. I want you to throw the thunderbolt. I want you to kill me. I don't want you to be scared of me. I'm just a pussycat as far as you're concerned. So take heart, cock your arm, 
let that baby go. I'm ready to leave this body and go back home, back to God, and having fulfilled the terms of my curse. And finally, uh, because Indra got his knowledge back due to the teaching that, that he did, he threw it, and Vritasura died gloriously, famously, and even though he was a demon, his story is told in the sacred pages of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Let's have a can-do attitude. While some people are hung up on all the things they can't do, others are seeing disadvantages as advantages waiting to come to life. Most people do not have to deal with the lack of limbs. Most people don't have to deal with blindness. Most people don't have to deal with cerebral palsy. We don't usually have such severe challenge in our life. We might have a divorce, a job loss, a financial challenge, a legal situation. But let's not let what comes against us overwhelm the eternal spirit soul and cause us to forget from whence we come. We need to adopt a no excuses mentality, press forward and allow time, it may not happen overnight, but press forward and allow Krishna to turn liabilities into assets. Finally, we'll tell the story of our spiritual master, Prabhupada. He came to America in 1965. He had no money. He knew nobody in America. He was in ill health, and he was already 70 years old when he started his mission to spread the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita throughout the Western world. So coming at that advanced age would certainly be a disability. It would certainly be a liability. And yet one nice thing about being an old person is that you can be outspoken. You can be controversial. You can stir things up. When older people do this, it can be an attractive quality. Now, Prabhupada came in the 60s when young people had buttons that said, don't trust anyone over 30, question authority. And basically, he was presenting a very authoritarian lifestyle. He said, if you want to follow me, you have to give up illicit sex, you have to give up gambling, you have to give up intoxication, you have to give up meeting me. Um, and he spoke without compromise. He said, we only accept pure, unalloyed, unmotivated, uninterrupted service to God as the highest emblem of human activity. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy might. Same thing. That's what we accept as the ultimate religious, spiritual activity for the living being. And we do not accommodate, we do not compromise with any lesser philosophy. So wherever he went, whenever he went in public or whenever great men came to him, the feathers would fly. He said, so many people came to me, scientists, philosophers, religion, and they all got wounded. None of them went away without being wounded. But at the same time, because of Prabhupada's stature, because of his composure, they got a kick out of it. They, they were tickled by his take-no-prisoners mentality. Prabhupada was criticized for being so straightforward, but... Oftentimes, it was an attractive feature. His early followers thought of Prabhupada as a pirate chief. And he was out to despoil and plunder other lesser philosophies than pure devotional service to the Lord. And they were his crew. There was never a dull moment with Prabhupada. So let's finish up here and ask ourselves, what is your handicap? What is it that you're allowing to hold you back from becoming the best that you could possibly be? Krishna knows all the issues that you're facing. He knows all your struggles. He knows all your weaknesses. Nothing is a surprise to him. I heard about a football player who had no arm. He was a famous, talented football player, but he played without an arm. And one day he was at the doctor's office, and the nurse asked, what's your handicap? He said, I don't have a handicap. I just don't have a right arm. 
What's your handicap? I don't have a handicap. I just play a guitar with my feet. What's your handicap? I don't have a handicap. I just speak kind of slower. So let today let me encourage you to live without excuses, to dwell on what you can do, to refuse to feel sorry for yourself, to concentrate on being the best you that you can be. If you'll live in faith, unintimidated, unbound by circumstances, your disabilities will work for good. Your stumbling blocks will become stepping stones. Your handicaps will transform into assets. And you'll come to know that there are no disadvantages with Krishna or God. You have everything you need to live this life in victory. And after this life, go back home, back to Godhead, where life is eternal, full of bliss and knowledge. Thank you very much for your kind attention. And if you'd like to chant with me, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Hare Hare.